Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson, here with my co-host Alejandro. Tonight we're bringing you the second half of our year-end conversation with Laurie Blondo and Adrian Stimson. All right, so taking up part two of our interview here, and we'll transition a little bit to talk about some of the events that you've been involved in uh, during this past year, and one of those was Tribe's 20th anniversary. Yes, and wasn't that fun? It was, um, I think it was a real coming home for Tribe, because for a while there, we didn't really have a lot of partnerships in the city anymore, except for the Mendel was the only one that I think was maintained. But with AK and Paved, and we we actually, that's the first time in many years that we've partnered with those galleries. No kidding. And, you know, and AK was one of um, the artist-run centers that really supported us 20 years ago when we started as an artist-run center. So it was great to rebuild those partnerships. And there's a reason why Tribe never got into, like, legally signing a contract oh you're going to give us a space every year because um at the time when we were founded we just felt that um anthony kindle who runs the mckenzie now and myself because he was working at aka back in the time in the 90s and we just said well let's not make this written in stone because staff at artist run centers has such a high rate of turnover that, you know, because we realized that it was a real negotiation of personalities and that sometimes, you know, you might not like that person and maybe that person might be racist or maybe that person, you know, like you're working with an indigenous group. Like we had to look at all of those kind of things. And I think I think back now, like, wow, we were pretty smart to do that <laughs> because, you know, can you imagine being stuck with somebody who was racist or somebody who just didn't like native people and you have to show art with them like that would just be ugly and not only show art but almost put a rubber stamp on what they're doing and say you're okay with it in terms of participating yes well it was that whole quota thing it's like you know uh, for a lot of non-indigenous organizations oh we got to have at least one indigenous or one indian show a year to sort of show that we're inclusive well excuse me (laughs) you know hello uh i I think things are much different than that but actually that really proved the racism that exists the systemic racism that existed within our systems and and to some degree still exist and uh it's a it's, it's a continual process of educating and you know it's one of those things as an indigenous person we've often find ourselves in the position of educating and it's constant 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 and after a while I get a little tired of it you know it's like hello uh, do your own research you know do change your own mind <laughs> and try to come to to a space where uh, inclusivity means much more than a photo op or a dog and pony show you know so I think it's uh, I think tribe ha- has been at the forefront of, of pushing those sort of inclusive uh, values forward uh, within non-indigenous organizations and, and basically always proving and showing that uh, there's much more uh, to inclusivity than just uh, just uh, a photo op. I also think, too, with a, a tribe having the last contemporary art exhibition at the Mendel, <laughs> I think was like counting coup as we like to call it in Indian country but to have the last show in that space I think 
you know, it's going to go down in history. And I don't know if any of our other shows that we've had there will go down in, but that one will because people will remember that show because it was the last show where we go from this place forward with the new Remy. We'll see. Well, if I can ask one question about that, then you were both involved in the Super Community live event. As as artists. As artists. Um, Could you speak a bit about the experience and the process there that was involved in that performance? The piece was called The Birds, the Bees, the Berries, which basically we um, uh, conceived and put together for uh, performing Turtle Island at the First Nations University of Canada, where we first did that. And really the piece was talking, well, complexities of it, but basically was talking about the environment and basically what's happening to the environment. Uh, in particular, the bees and the d- diminishing of the bees. Uh, so it was a real, you know, it was an opportunity to perform Turtle Island in, in a sense. Uh, but it was interesting then it was picked up by uh, the Remy and curated by... Troy Gronsdahl had contacted us. Like, we didn't have much time. Like, he had contacted us, like, maybe, I don't know, a month before um, Super Community. And he, you know, he goes... But it's not a for sure thing, but we'll try to do it. So, and then he, 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 he got it passed, right? And so he goes, yeah, you guys will perform and you'll end the Super Community Conference. So I went the first night um, to the two papers that were presented. Right. And I know about Eflux. Um, I know their writing. Um, I follow them. I get their emails. But um, I found it really interesting that... Um, because everybody, all these institutions are all about indigenizing. And I guess my problem being an indigenous person is always being asked, how do we indigenize? How can we indigenize? Like I even was asked that by Peter Stroichoff from the university. Like, you know, he wanted to know my opinion. Like, how does the university indigenize? Well, I think if, if you as an institution and as a person running the institution can't see that, um, to come to Indigenous people and ask us how you do that, I think it's a little hard because if you can't see it as the leader of your organization, how are we as Indigenous people supposed to tell you how to do it? Because it won't work. Like, if you can't see it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, sure. And there's also... Go ahead. Adrian. Oh, and, and I'm, a, I'm a bit of a cynical one here because, you know, of course, I look at statistics and what's actually occurring in the world sometimes. And you take a look at university enrollment across this country. And the fact is, is that non-Indigenous uh, students are on the major decline. Uh, international students are on the big decline. So all that money is starting to disappear. You know, China's taking all their students and bringing them back home and making them go there. Uh, and the population of non-indigenous people are declining so all of a sudden there's not that money who's increasing indigenous people are increasing that's where the money is and i hate to sound so uh, skeptical but that's the truth and the fact is all of a sudden now we're going to indigenize so i ask myself how genuine is that idea of 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 indigenization you know i i at at the other uh, other side of the spectrum i know there are a lot of great indigenous people within those institutions doing wonderful things and i applaud that and i think that's really great and that's where the change is occurring but it's always one of those sort of for me as i hear it on the news that we've got to indigenize the university my 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 red (laughs) lights go up and then and then talking to 
to people who are in the system who basically say, hang on a second here, this is what's really happening, is that they have to appeal to Indigenous people because that's where the money is. But, but even with the art world, like you look at, you look at the public art galleries or artist-run centers, like how many Indigenous people are employed by these right. institutions? And this is a question I've been asking for 20 years. And in November, I was in Toronto for the National Artist-Run Center Conference. And again, you know, I looked at who was there. I looked, and I can do, a, because you can do a survey to find out how many people are indigenous that are working for these arts organizations. And there's not a lot. And I think, um, I think if anybody wants to indigenize, you got to start hiring us. Yeah, like putting somebody on the board. You take a look at the board of the Remy. Has there ever been an indigenous person I think or in the Mandel in its entire Never. history? Well, Why are they not actively out there pursuing somebody to be uh, an indigenous member of that board? But it's also in, in these boards, uh, also there needs to be a, an opportunity for the indigenous voices to be heard and be respected. It's just not the token Indian that goes and sit in a board just because you need to have an indigenous person. So uh, I was in a conference not long ago about uh, indigenous people in boards. And there's a different system. There's a different way of seeing boards and this uh, aspect that you mentioned beautifully before. Uh, in your conversations uh, about how important is collaborating and how the circle of collaboration in a board like that is is more important than having one leader that takes uh, the charge in that board. So I think also the the board needs to learn a little bit that if you invite an indigenous person, you need to respect their protocols and also listen to, to what they have to say. Well, if you don't have an indigenous person, because I know the the Mendel or the Remy, I don't know if the Remy's going to have the same thing, but the Mendel always had one position for an artist. And there's many artists in this community that were qualified to sit on that board. Have they ever been asked? I don't think so. Well, and that goes back to that point of how does uh, an institution indigenize? And, and we spoke a bit before the show, too, about how often indigenous people are asked to comment on or to give advice, but they're not brought into the decision-making roles or brought into, you know, they're not paid as a consultant. Exactly, mm -hmm. not paid as a consultant. And it's just like, wow, we just, like I was talking with Adrian and a few other Indigenous artists, local, about how often we give advice about Indigenous art or Indigenous, you know, protocols to professional institutions and we don't get paid. But in reality... You know, I, I said, I'm going to start charging. Like, if anybody wants to consult with me, they got to pay me. I have to make a living. And it's kind of ironic because often the people who they, uh, the big sort of consulting firms who they uh, hire to sort of consult with, turn around and come and ask us free of charge <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> what we think. You know, so there's a bit of an interesting sort of conundrum there that I think most organizations got to start asking themselves the tough questions is that do they actually really want to listen to our advice? And uh, instead of paying sort of high priced sort of uh, consultants about what they think. Uh, and you I know, can I, you, bet you any money that we get written up while well, I consulted with so-and-so. And also, too, like when Canada Council went through their big change in 1992 after a big report came out by Leanne Martin, and it actually was funded by the Canada Council. Leanne Martin's a curator, um, Aboriginal curator, who uh, lives in Ottawa and has curated some pretty um, major shows of Indigenous artists. But she, the Canada Council, hired her to write this report about how Canada Council could 
you know, be inclusive of Indigenous artists. And after that report came out, they created the Indigenous Secretary in the Canada Council, which is now the Aboriginal section. So they really took it seriously and, and hired, you know, a, a somebody who knew and who could write and who could put this together. And, and Leanne did a great job because it totally changed the face of how we were looked at as Indigenous artists by our Canada Council. And, you know, and with Sask Arts Board now, they have um, an Indigenous consultant who's equal, is our new Indigenous consultant, Lindsay Knight, which I'm so excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, here, here. So I think things can change, but it has to be on a level of having some commitment. Like my question to, if, if Gregory Burke was sitting here in front of me, I would like to ask him how many Indigenous people work for your organization and do you have a plan to, especially living in a place like Saskatchewan where our population of Indigenous people, it's not going anywhere but up and unless you start dealing with it now as organizations, you're going to be in a lot of trouble um, when it comes where, where like my, you know, the next generation is coming of age. Like we have older population and it's like what is it 21 and under or like mm-hmm. the highest, highest growing population in indigenous communities right now and and so it's this idea of leading by example and I, I and when i think about this idea of indigenization and seeing our current current prime minister justin trudeau a bit, a bit of a breath of fresh air uh but actually actually being inclusive yes the photo op is there you know being blanketed and doing all those things but that means the, the, the those actions are incredibly meaningful and i think what he now the challenge is in doing sort of the protocol and doing sort of the visual aspect of it is now is the work how do you like take that from true essence of saying being genuine and saying yes i want to be inclusive and yes i'm going to speak your language and yes i'm going to follow your protocols and do all this sort of stuff and then how do you turn that into the actual bureaucratic system and move it through there because that's where things can sometimes get waylaid and misinterpreted and all that sort of stuff. So we're in incredibly interesting times, incredibly interesting times. <laughs> so let's see what happens. <laughs> well, and on that note too, I'm just wondering if you were asked, what would you hope for, for the art community or more general community in terms of, you know, looking forward? My wish list is that when the Remy opens, the main gallery is going to be an indigenous show. That is my if I could wish upon the star, that's what I would wish for. But I don't know if I have very much hope for that. Well, and would it be an indi- like a show of Indigenous artists or a show curated by an Indigenous? I think it could be a solo show because, you know, we've, we have the community, sure. the artists. We have the artists that could carry their international artists. Edward Putra, Rebecca Belmore. Robert Houle, like I, the list Dana goes, Claxton. Dana Claxton, Shelley Nero, like Robert Houle. Yeah, I already said. Oh, wow. oh why does he get two <laughs> n- mentions? But, you know, Lawrence Paul, um, like the list goes on and on. And I just think if this big, and it's huge, for you, since it's been getting built, I would be over by the farmer's market. And it's just like, wow, like that's like a monolith. 
because it's so it's a big building and then we got to tour it uh, we were invited for a tour in August to go see it and I remember seeing the main gallery and I was just like that's a big gallery and I really understood like why they have to go international because you know you got to fill that space and there's mm -hmm. like five galleries in there five five yeah that's quite One, a few yeah. Two, big three, galleries. four, yeah, five galleries. Mm -hmm. And then the main gallery is so big. But I just thought if the Remy wanted to make its mark, like, cause, because that would, like, internationally, if, like, if you got somebody like Rebecca Belmore mm -hmm. or even Edward Patra, you know, to be the opening show of that space, mm -hmm. that's how you indigenize. Mm -hmm. Well, also, it's just, it, it is like, it, it's about building community. You know, who is your community? You know, yes, we have an international community and stuff like that, but who is actually here? You have local artists, you have provincial artists, and, 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 and part of that is indigenous artists too. So how do you want to reflect that? How do you want your community to be viewed? And if you, you know, it would be very remiss if they did not consider indigenous participation in the opening show, because, you know, what does that say right off the bat? It says, you know, okay, well, they're not here. And, you know, it's like, I, it's one of the things I often find, and I'll be, I'll be honest, uh, we were at a Remy Christmas party tonight, and the first thing, I always go into a room and say, where are the Indigenous people? Well, I guess we're the only ones. We saw you know, one other guy. One other guy, <laughs> you know. But, you know, people of color, too, where are they? You know, and I ask that, those are the questions I ask myself, is that I know this community is much bigger than that. And yet, here we are, still in that same position of being the minority within something that should be more than that. So then I, I hope that uh, those who are in charge are seeing that as well and asking themselves the same question, well, how the heck are we going to start making this more of an inclusive organization and more, much more of a face of the community? And that includes local artists too, because there are many local artists here who, you know, who want to be a part of it, but yet are often overlooked. You know, so I think, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things I think is really important is that we start to really open up those spaces where ideas of collaboration, ideas of community, ideas of sharing are, are, are much more put in the forefront. And uh, I know <laughs> it's one of those conundrums again, you know, you have a multi-million dollar building. How is it going to make money? How is this going to do this? How is it going to do that? I'm more interested in how it's going to reflect the community, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. When Gregory is on, one of my questions for him was in regard to the community and how do you how do you connect and represent that community? But also, if we're talking about international artists, is there a space for the Remy to help local artists to start to build toward that? Is it only about showcasing artists at a certain level or about how, helping artists here to grow as well? When I got the, when we went on the tour, I sort of got the sense that like the, there's a gallery on the main floor where the coffee, the restaurants and the gift right. shop, I think, are going to be. And I kind of got that that was going to be one of the galleries. Well, not necessarily that it would be community, but it would be a gallery that would change quite often, like every month. Because, you know, most shows are probably going to be up for three months or whatever. And so... I think there is room, but that doesn't mean that our community, whether Indigenous or non-Indigenous, do not... We have the caliber in this province of sure. artists that have the right to be up in that huge Certainly. space. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I have I have hope, you know, like I've been doing this for 20 years, working in the arts community, running an organization. and. Some t there's been years where I didn't have hope, but I kind of have hope, but I don't know. We'll have to see what that 
looks like, right? And it'll be interesting to see. I, I would really love to see an Indigenous curator at the, at the gallery, the new gallery, because... And that doesn't mean that they only curate Indigenous work. No. An Indigenous curator curates, sure. curates everybody's work. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the things that's, uh, you know, sort of these ideas that, that you only get an Indigenous person to do Indigenous things when, in fact, you know, they can do many things. Look at Mich- Michelle Lavallee down in, uh, at the Mackenzie Art Gallery in uh, Regina. You know, she can has done amazing work in terms of in, uh, not only creating Indigenous shows, but also non-Indigenous shows. Mm-hmm. And Candice Hopkins, who's an Indigenous curator from BC, but lives in Sa- uh, Albuquerque right now. She's being, she's one of the four curators for, for um, Documenta. Mm-hmm. Did you find that uh, most of the time indigenous artists are called as token Indians to to get the grants and get the funding to for their organizations or the structures the the structural system in this art world? Oh yeah, like that's always going to be a problem, and especially like when I was talking about the changes Canada Council went through in '92 they changed their policy which was to be inclusive like they weren't telling organizations that oh you have to show indigenous artists but they said in their policies that we look at this as something that's important to our mandate as an organization so then we had the backlash of people just programming like inviting people and we still run into that you know like I I think for us as performance artists you know like people think have this idea about what performance art is and they don't realize like the same amount of work I would put into a visual show I put into a performance piece but for some reason whoever it is that makes our rates has made them so low to do a performance that you know like I have my own rates now I don't go by Carfax minimum because that's a minimum in most centers and our galleries will go by that minimum But it's also, too, like, being invited, like, having a really short time of being invited. Like, I, I really admire Troy Gronsdale as associate curator at, at the Remy. And I'm glad he, and I've known him for really, I think, since he was 18. And to me, he really gets Indigenous contemporary work. And so when he invited us, I know it was it was really short time, but that's the thing people, and I don't think he thinks this way because I think he really gets performance art. But some people think like, oh, we'll give them, we'll invite them two weeks before whatever. And it's almost like, oh, what, do you think I could really pull a performance? Out of my ass. <laughs> yeah. You know, no. And... Uh. So, th- so that's, I think, having a practice as a performance artist sometimes can be very frustrating because of people's understanding or whatever they their understanding or their concept in their mind is of what it takes to put a performance together because and it takes a lot of work. And I think it sort of you know, goes along with the contemporary idea of entertainment. Everybody needs to be entertained. You know, performance art is not entertainment. <laughs> Let's be really clear about that. You know, yes, there's elements of it that can be entertaining, but in the base of it is like really uh, interesting discussions or really interesting uh, uh, research about what uh, actually is. And it's up to the uh, viewer to sort of decipher and sort of come away and say, what the heck just happened? Well, and you spoke too about the Ramey and Super Community being 
not really provided much of a context for the performance or for the conversation around the performance? Well, no, because it was just like, oh, we were performing on this faux stage, which is performance artists, I hate performing on a stage. I don't, I rarely perform on a stage. So that was weird. And then we just had to really make, we had to own the space and go in and, are you asking me whether I felt a part of the super community? Even just, was there a, I guess, Adrian, you were talking sort of about the conversation and context around the performance. And I guess I was just conscious that you were brought in, you did a performance, but you weren't also provided an opportunity to speak about it or to provide well, I'll, well, I think the telltale thing was that there was a, a, a review written by a, a, one of the people who attended and he talked about every other thing except the performance. Mm-hmm. Totally excluded the performance. So, you know, the, as performers, all of a sudden, okay, yeah, we're just brought in as a dog and pony show. You know, it's like, where is the content around our performance? And again, that, that negation, that sort of like, oh, put them to the side, they're not that important, when in fact, we were a part of that thing and yeah. in the end, we were, it, we were ignored in and a way. From the lectures I went to, I didn't go to all of them, but the lectures I did go to, I heard quite a few times the word indigenous being mentioned by the people who were presenting papers. But then that's another thing that I found so funny that here you have two indigenous artists talking about a global issue of climate change, which are very close to indigenous communities all over this world and we don't get like i don't care if they write about me or not but just at least mention that oh and it was concluded by a performance yeah really uh, to qualify that it's not an ego thing like quite frankly i don't care if somebody doesn't talk or critique or stuff like that but you know when you when you're part of a community and part of again community if you're a part of a community at least something has to be mentioned Mm -hmm. and then when it's not then as artists as any human being you often wonder well why didn't they include you know something about that you know so it makes you wonder so there's a lot of wondering going on I would ask you more about super community, but I fear we're running low on time. And I did want to ask you a bit about collections and some of the challenges that are present or I guess just lack of inclusion sometimes of indigenous works in collections. <laughs> or performance artists. That too. In conclusion. Well, and, well uh, I'm not a part, I have no work in the Sask Arts Board collection. I did have a studio visit with the former uh, visual arts officer that took up couple hours of my time and nothing was bought in and now I'm being asked to submit a proposal which I know for a fact that that collection has bought in people's work without having to write a proposal I'm quite busy and for me to do a proposal for somebody to buy my work no either you want it in your collection or you don't and um, I'm in the Kendra Dines collection which I think Uh, The person who bought it at the time really knew that this is the time to pick up her work. And that's the thing with the Sask Arts Board not having me in their collection. They basically could have got my work for like even 10 years ago, like really cheap. But (laughs) because of where I am now in my career, I don't know whether they could afford it, really. And... (laughs) I had a studio visit with the National Gallery, and we'll see what happens there. But um, private collectors, there's a private collector out of Ottawa. His name's John Cook. He's an architect, and he's actually acquiring one of the most exclusive Indigenous contemporary art collections in Canada. 
he's been on panels about it and so he's a big collector of my work and he he's smart about it so uh, collections yeah it's interesting because i i think the one that you know saskars board not having my work really bothers me and has bothered me for a long time because i just think does that because i'm not in their collection does that take away from my career and i i finally got over it and i thought like no it doesn't take away from my career or the fact that they don't own anything and uh, we'll see and i know a lot of people too will use well she's a performance artist how do you collect that which i think people know that i i make visual work along with performance art you know because i have to make a living so that's true well, it was interesting because I was recently asked to be on a panel of SAS galleries down in Regina at the Mackenzie, and the whole uh, uh, thing there was about how do how do uh, private galleries and commercial galleries or private yeah commercial galleries how do they support and and encourage more indigenous participation and and such and you know there's so many so many complexities to that of course then it's really hard to sort of sum it up in in this in in this program but i think the the bottom line is 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 that you know those are those questions it's like why the heck does Lori have to you know jump all those hoops in order to like even be considered to be part of that collection when in fact her practice has been so significant in this province that why the heck are they out there just grabbing her work I wonder about that. You know, I, I am in the collection and basically I was just approached and asked to put it in, right. you know? So there are like this disparities. Like why is a man, and I wonder, you know, is it because I'm a man? You know, is it because, you know, it's like, come on. It's like, you know, step up, you know, step up. And so I, I you know, I totally wonder about those things myself and, and the inclusion in things. But also this ongoing sort of collections is that sometimes uh, organizations will collect one of our works. Well, heck, we live well beyond some of us to our 90s and our work evolves through time you would think that a, a regular process a collection of a person's work to tell their story throughout their life would be something they would consider you know and i think that's other things that i think most organizations galleries uh provincial collections whatever need to start considering because you know you take a look back in the old times with the whole sort of emma lake artists like they, there's a, one piece of there's a year in some of those collection where the indigenous artists like you know like they get one and that's enough <laughs> you know so start asking those questions guys <laughs> and the old Mendel and I don't know I guess my piece goes on to the Remy now but they they bought a piece right. um, so it's yeah it's an interesting and if I may just in terms of that SAS galleries one of the interesting uh, conversations to come out of that for me was just the notion that when we're talking about how to collect indigenous art or performance art, and sometimes maybe it's more that the collection or collection process itself needs to change rather than just, you know, saying why aren't more being collected or why is it challenging then? Well, if it's challenging to collect performance art, performance art makes up an important segment of Saskatchewan art more generally. Why aren't we changing a system to somehow to accommodate better? And the Arts Board collection, actually, I was on a committee years mm -hmm. ago that was consulting with performance artists and how to collect their work and they actually have a performance artist okay. work traces from her performance in the collection and uh, so it's not like they haven't tried but then something gets st you know staff changes and but they still haven't bought my work uh, and it's uh, also the cultivation of collectors too you know there are a lot of collectors in Saskatchewan yet you know you, you take a look at it and, and, and my experience has been that it's been sort of hit and miss you know it, it's like where are the benefactors where are the people who are out there who want to support artists and you know who have the ability to do that you know where are they you know where are they 
where are they to support? And that's part of the cultivation that galleries and that private galleries and stuff need to do more of is cultivate that atmosphere of collecting and educating, too. I think that's a huge part of it, that, you know, arts education needs to be, you know, fully entrenched in our school systems, fully entrenched in our, our cultures. And so I think that's so important to really sort of consider as we go forward, you know, whether that's indigenization, indigenizing or not. You know, it's like, let's just get people to appreciate more art more. Well, thank you both for coming on tonight. It's been great having you both and, and speaking. Well, I guess this is the second half of your conversation, but speaking so openly with us and sharing some, some challenges and positives and concern. Thank you for the invite and letting us speak so openly. <laughs> I don't you. know how else to be in the world. So, yeah. Well, thank you again for coming tonight. Well, thank you guys for having us. You've been listening to the second half of our conversation with Adrian Stimson and Lori Blondeau on Unframed on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and cfcr.ca. For my partner Alejandro, I'm Michael Peterson. Thank you for joining us tonight. And a reminder again, you can listen to our full conversation with Adrian and Lori as a podcast by visiting unframedradio.com or on iTunes. Thanks and have a good evening.